got to kind of stop and see family. And, you know, if you've ever done those trips, sometimes you know that they can feel like they're never going to end and you can feel like it's unbearable. But thankfully, at least for our family, we had more food than clothes. We were like a traveling high V. We had every possible permutation of a snack that you could ever want. So we had all the food and it was great. And once we finally got there, we got to go to the beach and we got to see some whales and some dolphins. It was really remarkable. We had a great time. But probably for me, one of the, the funniest or most enjoyable things was when Selah and I had to run to the grocery store. It's called Acme. And so we went to this grocery store and we get in there and get our groceries. Well, it starts to rain. That's not an uncommon thing, but it starts to rain pretty hard. And so we were going to have to wait a few minutes before we could go to the car because I wasn't going to mess up my hair by running out in the water, right? And so it's, it's really raining hard. And one of the employees from the store comes running out because there's a few of us kind of waiting outside with under the overhang. And he, and he looks and he yells back into the store, we've got a flood, we've got a flood. And like, everybody's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? There's like a little bit of water. He's like, we've got a flood, we've got a flood. Well, this just sent the whole staff. Now they're all worked up. So they come running out to see this little bit of water trickling. And this guy says, we got six inches. We got six inches of water out there. It's been raining 30 seconds. He's like, we've got six inches. And they go, folks, you got to get back in the store. Get back in the store. Like, you would have thought, like, there was a massive flood coming. You know, so we're like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll just walk back in here. Whatever, guy. And, you know, like, so all the people are running around, and we're just kind of standing there going, these people are fired up. Well, a little bit of water comes in, and something got on something that was on the floor. And the guy said, what was that? And he said, oh, it got on this. What aisle is that from? And they said, aisle two. Shut down aisle two! Shut it down! Shut it down! And we're like, what is happening here? I mean, this guy had to be employee of the month like 100 years in a row. I, Sale and I were just dumbfounded by it. We, we just thought, this is hysterical that we didn't want to leave when the rain stopped. Like, we wanted to see, what's he going to do next? What's he up to? And, and as, as unique as he was... It kind of thought he understood who he was as an employee of that store, and he, understand, he understood his responsibilities. He was going to protect the store. He was going to protect the customer. Even if it meant shutting down aisle two, it didn't matter. The question is, do we understand who we are, and do we understand our responsibilities? If we want to be all in as a Christ follower, then we need to know who we are and we need to know our responsibilities. So we're going to take a look at a passage from Ephesians today. Ephesians 4, if you've got your Bibles, please open them up. If you've got your phone, please pull it up. And if you've got neither, then just look up. And we'll have it up here for you. Now, Paul is writing from a Roman prison to the Ephesians. And if you can picture the book of Ephesians divided into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 are about the proclamation of the gospel, and chapters 4 through 6 are about the application of the gospel. And so what we're going to really look at today is how do we love other people the way that Jesus loves people? Because we talked about being all in. It's not just about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. How do we love other people? 
So Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. As we said, chapters 1 through 3 are about proclamation. And the proclamation is how the gospel has changed us. How the gospel has transformed us. How the gospel has redeemed us. How that God has opened our eyes to the truth that we are sinners and God is the Savior. And so those first three chapters really unpack who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And now what happens is we come to the part of how do you live that out? What does that look like in your life? So Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. And we don't often think about this, but do you know that you are a called person of God? Of all the people in the world, God called you. You are a called person of God. You have to know who you are. You are a called person of God. God looked in the whole world and he says, I'm calling you to be my follower. And so Paul is saying, live a life worthy of that calling. It means something to be a person of God. It means something to God, but it's got to mean something to us. And so we've got to live in a manner that says, I understand that I'm called by God. This young man at the store understood who he was. He was an Acme employee. He understood that, and he knew that that meant something. So Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. Now, I kind of jokingly teased this guy for what he did. And if you are going to be a Christ follower, you're going to be more than teased. You're going to be looked at differently. You're even going to be persecuted. Now, when we say, I'm persecuted, what does that mean in our culture? People talked about me. People looked at me funny. People were whispering when they laughed at me. They posted something on social media. That's not the kind of suffering. Paul was in a prison. Paul was in prison because of the gospel. Paul was all in. Paul was committed. Paul says, I don't care what they say about me. I don't care what they do to me because I'm all in because the gospel has transformed me. And so how do we live that life? When he says, live a life worthy of your calling. To, to put that simply, it means this. What you say has to match what you do. You can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. And we are really good at talking the talk. But if we're going to be all in, we have to walk the walk. And so Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. Don't just talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. So the question is, how? How do we do that? This guy just didn't say he was an Acme supermarket employee. He showed us that he understood what it meant to be an Acme supermarket employee by going crazy when a little water came in. So Paul gives us four ways in which you and I can live that out. And I want to explain it to you in this, in this way. What Jesus did for us is called the indicative. Say indicative. That's what Jesus did for us. The imperative is how we live that out. Say imperative. 
Okay, so there's the indicative, what Jesus did for us, the imperative, how we respond to what Jesus did for us. So Paul just spent three chapters talking about the indicative, what Jesus did for us. Now he moves into the imperative. And here are four things. He says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, and bear with one another. Humility is not a popular word in our culture. The Ephesian culture was, was very much like our culture. They valued pride more than they valued humility. Humility is understanding who you are and understanding who God is. It's understanding that God is God and we're not. Humility is submitting to the authority of God. Humility is saying, God, you are the creator and you are the redeemer and I'm not the creator and I'm not the redeemer. I am humble enough to know who I am and I'm humble enough to know who you are. See, the biggest difference between cultural humility and biblical humility, cultural humility says, I deserve. I deserve that job. I deserve that house. I deserve that raise. I deserve that. I'm a good person. I'm just saying I'm being humble, but I deserve it. Humbleness, from a biblical perspective, says, I am unworthy of God's grace in my life. I'm unworthy of all that God has blessed me with. I'm unworthy that God has redeemed me because I know who I am. So Paul says, if you want to be all in, you have to know who you are. And to know who you are means you are humble, humble and humbled by being a follower of Jesus. So Paul says, be humble. The second thing he says, be gentle. And gentleness, you know what gentleness is? Power under control. I saw a video clip this week. I don't know what zoo it was at, but there was a family there and they were taking pictures of an elephant. And maybe you've seen this. And the elephant had their trunk out and the elephant's trunk just came and slapped the camera right out of this little girl's hand. And people were like, whoa. But I thought, that's probably the elephant being gentle. Because if the elephant really wanted to hurt somebody, the elephant could, because the elephant's big. See, we are called to be gentle with our words. Sometimes we're not always very gentle the way that we talk to or about each other. Sometimes we're not very gentle by the things we post on social media. Sometimes we're not very gentle, sometimes even in our tone and the way that we talk to each other. But if we truly understand who we are, if we truly understand the indicative of what Jesus has done and that we want to live out the imperative, then we will be gentle in spirit, gentle in approach, gentle in thought. Proverbs 15 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Think of how many arguments, hurt feelings, and broken relationships would be changed if we were humble and if we were gentle with one another. So Paul says, if you want to live out the imperative and the indicative of what Jesus has done should fuel the imperative. Because if we're just trying to be a nice person and a good person, that's called works righteousness. And we cannot work our way into heaven. I tried it. We can't earn our way in by being good enough. It doesn't work. Paul was saying is know who you are. You are a called people of God. That should create in you a humbleness, a gentleness, and it should create patience. And that's the hard one. You might have said, you had me on the first two, but you lost me on the patience. Patience is hard. I'll never forget that, the great quote from that amazing philosopher, Levi Ryan, when he was about four years old. 
And he says, waiting is hard. It is. It's hard to have patience. Patience is trusting God's time. And we're not good at that. I'm not good at that. Patience is saying, God, I know you have a plan, and I know it'll come out when you want it to. I mean, when we go back, we think of Abraham and Sarah. You think they struggled with patience? They wanted to have kids, and God said, no, 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 you're going to be 90 and 100. But look what God did. He birthed a nation from them. Think about Noah. God said, I need you to build me a boat in the desert. And 120 years went by before the flood came. You think Noah developed patience? Patience is trusting that God's got it. And that's hard. It's not easy. But if we're going to be all in, and if we're the people of God, we say, Lord, I want to trust you. Lord, I'm going to trust you. We've got to be humble. We've got to be gentle. We've got to have patience. And then and only then can we bear with one another. And that's the hardest thing to do. And what Paul was saying to the church is, y'all got to learn to get along. Y'all got to learn to bear with one another. I don't know if you know this, but nobody's perfect. Sometimes we expect people to be perfect. We expect people to respond perfectly. We expect people to react perfectly. We are not perfect people. We are messy people. We are sinful people. We make mistakes, but yet we expect everybody to be perfect. But what Paul is saying, we need to bear with one another in love. And no, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to mess up so bad. Hugely, we're going to mess up. But God's grace covers us. Because God redeems it. When we understand the indicative that God died for us, God didn't die for perfect people. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for people who messed up. And we understand the indicative, then we can live out that imperative so much easier and say, I can be humble because I know what Jesus did for me. I can be humble because I know how much God loves me and I can be gentle with people and I can have patience with people. Think right now, somebody in your life that you have the hardest time dealing with. Don't look at them if they're sitting next to you because then you're going to have a whole other problem. Think of somebody that you're like, man, they are just so difficult to deal with. If you can't think of anybody, guess what? It's you. And in the eyes of God, you don't think we're difficult for God to deal with? Not only does he tell us what to do, he wrote it down and we still don't do it. We can bear with one another when we understand the indicative of what Jesus did for us. That helps us live out the imperative. I didn't talk to this employee from Acme Supermarkets. I really wish I would have. But he didn't have to tell me what he believed. He didn't have to tell me that he didn't understand his responsibilities. He showed me. He showed me by his actions that he understood who he was and what his responsibility was. We need to do the same thing. The way that we live should show people that we belong to God. The way that we live, how we deal with humility with people and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. And I'm not just talking about fellow Christians. I'm talking about people who have no faith. Are we humble before them? Are we gentle in the way we speak to them? Are we patient knowing God is working in people's lives? We never know people's stories. We never know what God is doing in somebody's life that he may be bringing them closer to him into a relationship with Jesus. We don't know that. And we may be a part of that story by being gentle and humble and patient and bearing with one another. 
Now, Paul is, is saying here, this is our individual responsibility, but it's our corporate responsibility too. You all know that the church is not a building, right? The church is not a building at all. The church are the people of God. And collectively, we come here together. We are the church. Whether we meet here or whether we meet there, it doesn't matter where we meet. We are the people of God. And so Paul says, know who you are. You're the called people of God, but know your responsibilities as the people of God. You know, we like to try to define the church by a lot of things. You know, we like to define it by denominations. We like to define it by worship style, traditional or, or contemporary or blended. We like to define it by geography. You know, it's this church steeple building. It's a gym. It's, it's under a tree. We like to define the church by language. Well, it's only the church if it's in Latin or if it's in this. You know, we try to define the church by so many different ways. But Paul says, you know what defines the church? That we're one. That we're unified under Jesus Christ. We are one church in many different expressions throughout the world. And Paul gives us seven reasons to help us remember to stay united. To stay united. He says this. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. Who is over all and through all and in all. That we are united. We are one. Do you know that no church in history can create peace? No church in history can create unity. All we can do is maintain it. And there's a difference. We have been given peace and unity in Jesus Christ. And if we are faithful and if we understand the indicative of what Jesus did and we live out the imperative, then we will be united and we will have that peace. The church itself is not a man-made institution. The church is a gift from God. And we are united in it. That's why it says there is one body. There is one church, one church universal. There may be different denominations or non-denominations and different languages and different worship styles, but there is one church. You're not going to go to heaven and they're going to say, Presbyterian church is down here, Baptist church is over there, Lutherans are up there. That's not how it's going to work. We're going to be all gathered together praising God. And the church is going to be so amazing, and it's going to look so amazing because it'll be all of the people of God, the diversity of God, the beauty of God. So there is one body, and there's one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that works in our hearts, that helps us see and understand the indicative of what Jesus did, is the same spirit that galvanizes the church, that says you are one spirit, that the spirit of God is in control of the church. And when we're obedient to the Spirit and we're faithful to the Spirit and we live out the imperative fueled by the indicative, God's Spirit is present and God will do amazing things. So Paul says there's one body, there's one Spirit, and there's one hope. What do you put your hope in? What is your hope in? Is your hope in my business doing well? Is your hope in my kids will listen to me? Is your hope in that you get that new job? Is your hope in, I want that new vehicle? Is your hope in that your kid does this? What is your hope in? There's only one answer to this question. It's not multiple choice. The only hope we have and the only hope we need is Jesus. That's the only hope we have. Christy and I went to a church long before I was a pastor for a man who had, I think, the voice of God. 
and he left a message on my voicemail one time. His name was Dr. Howard Eddington. And I think he was born Dr. Howard Eddington. And he would call, he said, Jeff, Dr. Eddington. He had this voice of God. And, and what we need to understand is that the only hope we have is Jesus. And, and, and his job was to, it was to point us to Jesus. And he used to say before every sermon, Lord, give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. And we used to laugh about that because he said it literally every Sunday. But there was a truth in that. There's only hope in Jesus, right? I mean, there's one answer to this question. Where's your hope? If it's not in Jesus, then you're missing out on what real hope is. And that's what Paul says. We are united by the hope that we have in Jesus. There's one Lord, one faith, one God, one Father. See, when we understand who we are, the called people of God, and our responsibility to stay united by the oneness that we have in God. And you know what really, I think, unites us more than anything? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. It doesn't say, for some have sinned, for most people have sinned, for everybody but me has sinned. It says, for all have sinned. We're united that we're sinners, but we're also united that we need a Savior, and that only Savior is Jesus. See, that's what unites us, our sin and our need for a Savior. And when we understand that, that indicative of why Jesus came and died, we understand that we're united as one and as one church because of our sin and need of our Savior, then we're going to live out the imperative and then we're going to be all in. See, do you know what most people do? And I did this for a long time. I fully accepted the indicative. I know what Jesus did for me. I know that Jesus died for me. But that's where I left it. I just went about my life the way I went about my life. I didn't live out the imperative. I wasn't, I wasn't humble with other people. I wasn't gentle with other people. I was never patient with people. And I didn't want to bear with people. And see, we can't accept the indicative and think that we're all in. We can't just say, I love God, that's all he wants. No, God says, love God, love other people. If we want to be all in, we have to not only accept the indicative, but it has to fuel the imperative of being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. Because when we do that, it's amazing. And do you know how we develop that? We do what we're doing this morning. We worship together. We worship together. Worship is so important. It's so important that we gather every week and worship God and praise God and encourage God and celebrate God and walk with each other. And if we're not worshiping God, then we're not going to have that power of God's Spirit working in us. Second, we need to serve together. That's why we send our kids to go on a mission trip to Pittsburgh, because we want them to serve together and the relationship they're going to have. That's why we're going to have an adult mission trip in the first part of next year, so we can serve together. That's why we go to North Omaha. That's why we do Friday night flicks. That's why we do five-day clubs, because we believe serving together means that we grow closer together and we love one another more. And then lastly, we need to learn together. Learn about God. If the only time you're hearing about God is Sunday morning here, I am sorry. But there's so much more. This needs to be the cherry on top of your ice cream. This can't be the ice cream. 
The ice cream's got to be, I'm involved in our small groups and one of our men's groups or our women's groups, or I'm every day, I'm reading the Bible, I'm doing a devotional, I'm listening to things. When we worship together, we serve together, we learn together, we start to live out that imperative. And that's amazing. See, you and I are ambassadors for God. People will know everything about us by what they see us do before they hear us. I know this guy's employee of the month. He's probably employee of the year because he saved me from a flood and he shut aisle two down. I don't know his name, but I know his game. He's proud to be an employee of that supermarket and he understands his responsibilities. There's a lesson there. You get it, right? You get that lesson. Know who you are. You're a child of God. Know your responsibilities the way that we treat other people. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come back up, and I want to give you just a few things to, to talk about at lunch and to, to think about this week. Number one, do you truly understand and accept the indicative? You may understand it, Jesus died on the cross for me, but do you accept it in your heart? I understand what Jesus did. Number two, are you living out the imperative motivated by the indicative. You say, the reason that I'm humble and gentle and patient and bear with other people is not because it's a nice thing to do. It's because I know what Jesus did for me. And then third, are you all in? Have you gone past the indicative because now you're living out the imperative? Or have you just stopped at saying, I know what Jesus did and that's good enough? That's not all in. And if we really want to be all in and love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind, we have to also love our neighbor as ourself. Amen?
that song just so speaks to who God is. He offers us a reckless love. It doesn't make any sense that God would send His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. He was sinless. He was perfect. But yet He went to the cross. This, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Corinthian church really couldn't figure it out. They had a really hard time getting over their divisions and learning to live in unity and in love with one another. You can see it in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, the entire two books. Paul is just spending these letters, writing over and over and over again, get rid of your sin so that you can live in freedom for Jesus. And the Corinthian church had a really hard time figuring that out. And I I get scared. I really do. I think about my generation, this young adult generation growing up, soon to be kind of taking on the mantle of controlling and pursuing the economy and pushing things along. That's kind of where I'm at now as I'm getting into my 30s, early 30s, 30, 30, not 31, 30, just so we're all clear. Old to some, young to others, I don't know. But as I look at my generation, I get really nervous because I really wonder if we're going to be able to figure this out. The Corinthian church had a really hard time figuring it out. That's just the truth of the matter. Paul pursued them over and over and over again. But if we can figure this out, people will know that we are Jesus' disciples because we love one another differently. Amen?